The subject matter of this podcast will address difficult topics, multiple forms of violence, and identity-based discrimination and harassment. We acknowledge that this content may be difficult and have listed specific content warnings in each episode description to help create a positive, safe experience for all listeners. In this country, 31 million crimes, 31 million crimes are reported every year. That is one every second. Out of that, every 24 minutes, there is a murder. Every five minutes, there is a rape. Every two to five minutes, there is a sexual assault. Every nine seconds in this country, a woman is assaulted by someone who told her that he loved her, by someone who told her it was her fault, by someone who tries to tell the rest of us it's none of our business. And I am proud to stand here today with each of you to call that perpetrator a liar. Welcome to the podcast on crimes against women. I'm Maria McMullen. Our guest today is the Honorable Erin Neely Cox, who will join us in a discussion regarding the nation's gun submission program and its impact on domestic violence and other violent offenders. United States Attorney Erin Neely Cox, sworn into office in November 2017, is the chief federal law enforcement officer in the Northern District of Texas, a 100-county area with a population of approximately 8 million people. Appointed by the President and confirmed by the U.S. Senate, She is responsible for bringing to justice anyone who violates federal law in her district. This past February, U.S. Attorney Neely Cox was appointed by Attorney General William Barr to serve as chair of the Attorney General's Advisory Committee, a group of 15 U.S. attorneys advising the Attorney General on policy and substantive issues affecting the Justice Department. Erin Neely Cox also serves as a member of the American Law Institute and fellow of the Texas Bar Foundation. U.S. Attorney Erin Neely Cox, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So federal law bars domestic violence offenders from possessing firearms. How long has this been in effect and and how has it helped? So in 1968, federal gun laws prohibited anyone that had been convicted of a felony domestic violence crime or someone who was subject to a protective order from transporting or possessing a federal firearm. And then Congress recognized and amended uh, that in 1996 to control for the fact of domestic violence misdemeanor convictions, making it the first time that the federal gun laws addressed someone who had just been convicted of a misdemeanor in the domestic violence area. This is certainly a recognition by Congress of the violence associated with domestic violence abuse. And since then, federal prosecutors have had those tools that they needed to prosecute federal gun crime laws against domestic violence abusers. Any recent changes to the law that we need to be aware of? No, no recent changes to the law. But what I would say is, you know, we have seen study after study recognizing the nexus of violence and the presence of guns with abusers and what that does with respect to homicides. Research shows the mere presence of a gun during a domestic violence incident increases homicide risk by 500%. When we start to look at those studies and when we start to reflect on how we as the federal government can help reduce violent crime across our communities, we must recognize that getting guns out of the hands of domestic violence abusers is one of the most important ways we can do it. And we have the tools right now to be doing just that. So I'm happy to say that we have a whole cadre of federal prosecutors that are working on this issue and thinking about this issue, both throughout my district, but also across the country. 
Good. I'm glad to hear that. Many experts, including you, have discussed a connection between domestic violence and other crimes. What types of other crimes are often seen? What we know by looking at it is the most common link between domestic violence convictions and other crimes is when we take a look at our mass shooters. You might be surprised to know that more than half of America's mass shootings, those killing four or more people, are cases of extreme domestic violence. And according to one study over an eight-year period, more than 420 victims, including more than 180 children, were killed in mass shootings by offenders targeting intimate partners and family. How do you recommend law enforcement, attorneys, and others work together to make those connections between domestic violence and other violent criminal activity? Well, I think it's really important that we make sure that we're all working together. As you know, the local prosecutors, county prosecutors, they are really doing the heavy lifting in terms of the domestic violence battle. Those are the prosecutors that are taking on the domestic violence cases in their first instance. And we're so thankful to them for those efforts. But the feds have a role to play here, especially when it comes to armed abusers. My office and several U.S. attorney offices across the country have committed to working with district attorneys and judges and survivor groups to identify defendants that are right for federal prosecution. And we hope that these prosecutions will send an important message to the armed abusers out there that we're taking it seriously and you're looking at serious federal time. We're also working quite proactively with law enforcement agencies, federal law enforcement agencies, such as the ATF. And I'm proud to say that the agents of the ATF that we're working with are rising to the challenge. So how is the COVID pandemic impacting these crimes and your work? We're actually very worried about this. I mean, we believe that domestic violence is on the rise and we know Historically, what the research shows us is that during downturns or economic depressions, we see both an increase in the frequency of domestic violence as well as the severity of domestic violence. And with the pandemic raging, we expect that domestic violence victims may feel unrightly so or unreasonably so safer in their homes than, say, in a shelter or in a place where they could find some refuge. This may or may not be the case, but we're worried that the combination of an economic downturn and the shelter-in-place orders really present a powder keg situation for our victims. And we want them to know that we're still here, we're still working on their side, there's several people that they can reach out to, and we want them to do so. So you lead the U.S. Attorney General Domestic Violence Working Group. Can you tell us what is that group and what is the work that it does? As I mentioned before, the laws regarding gun crime pertaining to domestic violence abusers have been on the books in their most recent form since the mid-90s. But General Barr is the first Attorney General to convene a working group to focus on this particular issue, guns and domestic violence. And I'm grateful for him for doing that because it allows us to prioritize it as a Department of Justice-wide initiative. I think what General Barr saw when we looked at the alarming statistics associated with domestic violence and firearm possession, we decided that focusing our resources on this where we could would help overall violent reduction plans. This particular group is one that I'm happy to chair And I have U.S. attorneys from all over the country working with me in this regard, anywhere from Tulsa 
to Pittsburgh, to Cleveland, to Los Angeles, we're all banding together to make sure that our offices know that this is a priority and we work very collaboratively with our law enforcement agencies. So we have a band of U.S. attorneys across the country prioritizing these cases, and we know for sure that it's going to help us in our violent crime reduction efforts. You mentioned Attorney uh, General William Barr. So in 2019, he introduced Project Guardian. Uh, What is Project Guardian? And if you can maybe walk us through the five principles of the initiative. Definitely. Project Guardian is simply Attorney General Barr's signature gun violence reduction initiative. Guardian means that all the U.S. attorney offices across the country will be focusing on gun crime. And included in that is a specific call out to domestic violence gun crime. We are tasked with improving coordination between federal, state, and local law enforcement. And this can take effect into prosecuting more background check cases, prosecuting straw purchaser cases, but also just putting at the forefront of our violent crime teams the prosecution of gun crime. I'm happy to report that in terms of General Barr's signature gun initiative, he specifically calls out domestic violence and prosecution of domestic violence armed offenders as something that he wants the Department of Justice to focus on. What does Project Guardian mean specifically for uh, domestic violence cases? So I think what it means is that when you have the attorney general essentially telling all the United States attorney offices across the country and our partner agencies, which within the Department of Justice, you have the FBI, the ATF, DEA, and the U.S. Marshals. So it means that all of us now have this as the forefront of our mind. I mean, Project Guardian is in a sense a way that the attorney general is focusing down our resources on the overall reduction of violent crime. But within that umbrella, we have been told to specifically bear down on domestic violence offenders and making sure that when we come across armed abusers, we prioritize those cases and we take them federally. What do you want women to know about their own rights in domestic violence cases? One of the great things about federal cases is we don't necessarily need the women to testify during the trial of the defendant. So for example, it's a very tough thing, obviously, for victims to be put on the spot to testify against their abusers. We know that in a lot of cases, that is a step forward that victims aren't willing to do for a variety of reasons. But in a federal gun case, the victim does not have to testify about the abuse. It is simply, do we have a domestic violence conviction? And we can prove that up with the conviction documents. And was the defendant possessing a gun? That is the entire federal case. And so by taking a federal gun case, we can oftentimes not have to get into the type of testimony that is the most challenging for the state domestic violence prosecutors to get. And in that way, it lets the victims know there is a path to take where this abuser can be convicted and I don't have to be at the forefront of this case to make it happen. And that's very comforting to a lot of victims. We do definitely engage with the victims. We want the victims to know what we're doing, how we're doing it. They can be present or not be present, but it's not the linchpin of the whole case. And so we can move forward on a lot of different areas where in a typical domestic violence case, they really rely very heavily on the testimony of the victim. That's really good to know. 
How can women best use the laws in place to protect themselves and ensure that they receive fair treatment? Well, we really want the survivors to know and the nonprofit groups that serve them to understand that if their partner has been convicted of a crime or served with a final protective order, that they're absolutely not allowed to have a gun. You know, there's several gun surrender programs here in Dallas County and in other counties where they're encouraging abusers to surrender their guns. And those are good. It's certainly important that we get the guns out of the hands of the abusers. But if the, if the survivors see a gun in their partner's possession, they need to tell law enforcement about it and we can do something to help them. As you know, the 2020 Conference on Crimes Against Women has gone digital due to the COVID pandemic. If you could address the conference cohort collectively this year, what would you most want everyone to know? Well, I always, I mean, this particular conference is one of the best conferences in the whole country on crimes against women. I am disappointed that we all won't be getting together like we normally do, but it's certainly want to make sure that everyone knows that the work that you're doing is incredibly important. There's a whole host of fronts where uh, the federal U.S. Attorney's Office can help, whether that's in armed abusers and domestic violence gun crime, or whether that's in human trafficking crime. There's a lot of ways that we work together throughout the year. And I just want to make sure and welcome folks and tell folks to continue to do what they're doing and you all make a difference and I'm happy to be a part of your team. Oh, we're so glad to have you with us. Is there anything new and changing or or maybe you can tell us about the Stop Human Trafficking Initiative? Well, the Stop Human Trafficking Initiative is really just an effort by the Department of Justice to recognize how pervasive human trafficking has become in our country. We know that it's happening a lot more internationally We know that we're seeing it domestically, and Texas in particular is seeing a significant increase in human trafficking cases. So we, in this area, similar to the domestic violence area, we have partnered with our state and locals right here in Texas, in North Texas. We have a North Texas Human Trafficking Task Force, which is a multi-agency law enforcement task force that's dedicated to investigating and eradicating human trafficking in our neighborhood. And we are in this effort along with the Dallas County Prosecutor's Office, as well as multiple law enforcement agencies. We feel like working together, we can make a bigger impact. And so we're doing that in the context of human trafficking so that we can take on this increasing crime and make sure that it starts to be reduced. So what's next for enforcing the Domestic Violence Initiative and reducing gun violence? Well, I think we just really want to make sure that we get the word out to local police departments that we are willing to engage on these cases. I talk so often to police chiefs across the district. The Northern District of Texas encompasses 100 of the 254 counties in Texas. And so often they are unaware of the ability to take a gun crime with a domestic abuser federal. The gun crime conviction in this area is a 10-year offense. So it's a really good tool for local police departments to know about. And we want them to work with our local ATF agencies to bring these cases. So I think what I would really like to see is general awareness across the community, recognizing that they can partner with us. We want to partner with them. And if we can take a case federally in the domestic violence arena, we certainly will. 
Where can people learn more about these domestic violence initiatives? Well, you can learn more on my website, U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Texas. We have a coordinator's phone numbers. We have the laws that are applicable to in this area, and we have the ATF that's partnering with us. I would also say that you can contact the ATF at atftips at atf.gov, atftips at atf.gov, or 1-800-ATF-GUNS. That's a law enforcement partner that you can call and they can look into your case. Oh, those are great resources. Thank you for mentioning those. So we have a lightning round of questions. They're just three quick questions, 60 seconds to answer. Uh, So we can begin the lightning round with asking you, what word do you wish people would stop using? I would like people to stop saying beat the drum because it just like, we really don't need to be talking about beatings when we're talking about domestic violence victims. Yeah, that's a great point. What inspires you? I think what inspires me most is the ability to make a significant impact uh, for the betterment of our community. I see our prosecutors out there all day, every day, working cases, making an impact, really going the extra mile to make sure that our victims' interests are uh, protected, that our cases are made. I mean, and, and most importantly, you know, sometimes we are the voice for victims that have no voice. When we can do that, when we can see a difference that we're making, that's incredibly satisfying, and it's certainly one of the reasons why I love my job. I'm glad to hear you love your job. Do you find your work intense? Very intense. <laughs> <laughs> so so that being the case, um, how do you combat burnout? I think it's important when you have an intense job to really love what you do and to really feel a great deal of satisfaction about what you do. And so no matter what day it is, no matter what challenge is before you, you just bring the amount of energy and enthusiasm that you have to it. There's no lack of challenges being the head of a federal prosecutor's office. Even right now during the pandemic, we are meeting issues, legal issues and tactical issues that we have never, ever worked through before. But we're doing it together. We're sort of putting the best and the brightest minds on these issues. And, you know, we're doing it for a very good reason. And so we're inspired and motivated by that. U.S. Attorney Erin Neely Cox, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. It's great to be here. To learn more about this topic and other issues impacting crimes against women, visit conferencecaw.org and find us on social media at National CCAW. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe. Interested in learning more about the topics you've heard on this podcast? Listeners of the podcast on crimes against women can receive $25 off of registration to the 34-part web series beginning on June 2nd. Visit www.conferencecaw.org slash register and enter podcast 25, that's podcast 25 at checkout.